All right. We are going to get started. You make sure that you've got a Bible. Uh, we'll look at it a couple times today. Make sure you have a sheet uh, that is back over there. And uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with the questions that are here. I asked you to do a couple things uh, last time when we left. One was to ponder uh, the meaning of your name or discover the meaning of your name. Does your name have meaning? And if so, what it is. Asked you whether or not if you could change it, if you would. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I want you to do this at your table. So there's three questions here uh, to just spend some time with. And we'll spend probably a good five minutes uh, just chatting about these things. But what does your name mean? If you know the meaning of your name, you'll want to share that. If you could change your name, would you? Why or why not? Why would you change it or why would you not change it? And then this question, are you more than your name? If so, how so? And if not, why not? All right. We're getting deep right away, all right? So what's the meaning of your name? If you could change it, would you? Why or why not? And are you more than your name? If so, how so? If not, why not? All right? Got about five minutes, five, six minutes to chat about it as a table, and then we'll come back together as a large group, all right? Go. All right, just a couple more minutes. Some of you are deep in the interwebs trying to find the meaning of your name. I do want to make sure that you get to the second and the third question. Would you change your name if you could? And are you more than that? Mm -hmm. All right, let's come on back. Uh, just by show of hands, just by show of hands, how many of you, if you could, would change your name? Not all at once. You already changed your name. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. T tell us more, Karen. <laughs> okay, if anybody didn't know that, you're welcome. Shocking news here. Jay is not Jay. That's odd. His name is Lauren. Yep. And the J is just initial. Does Jay actually have a name or is it just an initial? Just an initial. Okay, fantastic. I love that. I grew up as a Susie. I'm sorry, what? I grew up as a Susie. As a Susie? My brother and sister, and I'll Listen, nobody else's story is going to compare to this at all. This, this is... This is. Well, that's right. That's oh, man, it's so good. That's so interesting. In a similar way, you know, growing up, my, my dad's name is William, but he goes by Doug. He goes by his, middles, you know, his middle name, which as a kid, I was like, that's just weird. Uh, but, but it was advantageous, actually, because we knew when telemarketers were calling our house. Right? It's like, is William there? 
He is not, right? He is not here at all. Seriously, nobody can tell a story as good as this. This is really, it's really good. Well, let's ask this question then, the third question, because I think it's, it's going to get to the heart of what we're going to talk about today, is are you more than your name? And if so, how so? And if not, why not? Are you more than your name? You are your name, but are you more than your name? When you... That's, that's really interesting, Winnie. Thank you for that. Um, one might argue that those are different roles, not different names, right? Like Winnie didn't suddenly change and you got something else. Uh, but you certainly had uh, kind of these wonderful places in which your name was different. That's great. Are you more than your name? Larry? Well, I would say yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's look at what we call you pastor, but you're more than pastor. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. Uh, so you're more than your, your title. Okay. So our name is like, okay, this is a placeholder of, of this person. Yeah. But they do more than, than that person, that placeholder does. Yeah. And, they're, and they are enveloped in, in all the different aspects of that person's life. So yeah, you're more than your name. Okay. Good. Anybody else? Makes me think of the Matthew West song. Yeah. Yeah, so Sue was talking about Matthew West's song, uh, you know, my name is child of the one true, you know, one true king, I think, right? Uh, that's my name, uh, kind of in an interesting way. Well, here's th- this idea of names and what they mean in terms of how they relate to a person may feel like <laughs> really meta today. And I don't mean it to be, but I, but I do think it gets at the heart of what we want to talk about as it comes to the second commandment. So let's do this, this question of names and person been around a long time, uh, made probably most famous by Juliet and William Shakespeare's tragedy, Romeo and Juliet. And it's an interesting one, I think, when we think about uh, God's name. So uh, here, here's the text from Act 2, Scene 2. Uh, some of us will be really familiar. Some of us have probably purposefully kept this out of our brains for a long time. Uh, but, but the questions that are arising here, uh, really from Shakespeare's pen, I think are, are good ones. And so here's what Jul- Juliet says. She says, O Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. So here's the first moment, right? Uh, Juliet's really asking that in this case, that Romeo would somehow be separate from his name. Or if thou wilt not... Be but sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. So here now she's arguing, well, if you're not, then, then maybe I'll separate from my name. Right? That's, that's the thing here. Tis but thy name 
that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague. And what's Montague? It is nor hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part belonging to a man. Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So, Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes without that title. What is Juliet suggesting here? What is she beginning to suggest? Who knew you were in British literature? You're welcome. Interesting, yeah. That names and people can be separated? What else is she suggesting? Uh, so there, there can be some denial of who I am, uh, specifically a denial of my name, that I can separate my name from my person, right? Because she's kind of saying, like, even if you weren't called this, you would still be a sweet. You'd still be the man that I desire, even if that wasn't your name. And the name isn't who you are. The name isn't who you are. Yeah. 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 She she's suggesting at some level that perhaps the name is just a label, right? Just Montague. It's just a label. It's somehow separate from your character. Yeah. Now this is, this is really, really important for us as we think about God and his name. God and his name. So let's look at God's names kind of throughout the Old Testament, and then we'll get into, into some of the details of what it means to keep his name. Uh, when you look at the Old Testament, there are three primary names when referencing God. Uh, God, Lord, and Lord, right? Um, now, I'm giving you the English, but let me, let me also give you the Hebrew here uh, because there are some uh, differences in the Hebrew that's happening. Uh, so the, the, very, the very first word, God, that's used in Genesis 1-1, if I could write it in English, is simply this, ale, like the drink, Right, except not. Uh, we translate "ale God." Right. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes you'll get this word, Elohim, which is just the plural of "ale." Right, it's God's. And so here in Genesis one one, when we read Genesis one one, we're going to read this word. Ale, specifically. So let's look at Genesis 1-1 really, really briefly. Come on. If I can get there. So here it is, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They're using the word ale here. And so right at the beginning, one of God's names, or the way we talk about him, is by using this word, ale. 
right? Sometimes Elohim, again, plural, which when we talk about God as Trinity doesn't really bother us because he is three persons, right? One God. So he can be gods, kind of. He can be persons, one God. But Eler Elohim, that is used just for, if you, <laughs> you want to do trivia night, right? 2,599 times in the Old Testament as a reference to who God is. The next one, Lord, is found in Genesis 15.2. So let's go uh, to Genesis 15 briefly. And I'll give you the word here in a second. So Genesis 15, 2, I'm going to read 15, 1 and get into 15, 2. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Here it is. But Abram said, O Lord God. So the word God here is ale again, right? But right before it is the word Lord. And you'll notice this Lord is O-R-D in lowercase letters, and that's going to matter for us here in just a second. It's all in capitals? All right, well, let's look at the Hebrew. Uh, let's look at the Hebrew Genesis 15.2. We're about to see my Hebrew skills come to work. Here we go. 15.2. So interestingly, uh, Lord here, in Hebrew, Lord, Lord should be lowercase. How do I know that? Well, the Hebrew word here, the Hebrew word here is Adonai. Right? Adonai is the word here. often spelled A-I. Adonai, we translate Lord. Right. However, just a second, Tammy, however, here in the Hebrew, I was mistaken, God is not ale. It's the next one, which we're going to talk about here in just a second. But it is Adonai. And so it literally reads, and he answered Abraham, Lord, and then another word, right? Adonai. Now, Adonai is an interesting word. It literally means uh, Lord, one who is in power, right? It's not, it is not used only in reference to God, but to those who are in power, so those of you who are real Downton Abbey fans will think of like Lord Grantham, 
right? Lord is a title, a title of power. And so we refer to God in the Old Testament with the word Adonai or with Lord, L lowercase O-R-D. But it's not, it's not reserved for God and God alone. It's just acknowledging a position of power, which is what Abraham is doing here in 15.2. The last Lord, all capital letters, which we find in Exodus 3.14 and here then in 15.2 in a different way. The last one is Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal name. It's the name that he reveals to Moses in the burning bush. And this is actually the word that's being used in 15.2 as well, alongside of this one. So Abraham replies, Adonai Yahavah. Quite literally, Lord Yahweh. So our English translators are having trouble figuring out which thing do I let people know about. Because what our English translators have done is they've taken Lord with all capital letters to help you know where God's personal name is being used. As different from when you have L and lowercase O-R-D, which is just Adonai or a title. And so then in Genesis 15.2, you have both Adonai, a Lord, right? A title, and Yahweh. So our English translators are probably like, huh, Abram replied, Lord, Lord. Sounds weird to our ears. But to figure out a way to write that. Right? So Lord God is how they chose to translate it. And some, it seems, have translated it with Lord, all uppercase, and some of us have been translated lowercase, O R D. It's challenging. Yep. Question. I have a very good friend who has been doing this Bible study where they take, they start at Genesis and they take every word and translate it back. And she said that the Christian church today is being so disrespectful that we are not calling God Yahweh all the time because that's his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I don't have a place in the scripture that tells me that he's angry that I don't call him by name. I, yeah, I, I think what I'm saying is um, I can't be certain that he's angry. Now, if I just think about what I prefer people to call me by my name or always refer to me as something else, uh, this is easy for me. If, if, if I'm always and only called pastor and never called Brian, those are different things. Right? But I, I can't point to a place in Scripture that would say God's angry at that. Now, there's a history. There's a history of why we wouldn't use God's personal name, and we'll get to that in just a second. Okay. Uh-huh. So that's Yahweh. I am. 
Now, technically, um, this, will, this will be a little bit more detailed than you need, and I don't want to get too far afield, but it is worth asking. Yahweh, uh, Yahweh is a verb. It's verbal. Uh, we tend to think of names as, you know, proper names are nouns, right? But Yahweh's name is a verb. <laughs> We've got to wrap your mind around that. What, but what would that imply? He's action, right? He takes action. He is action, interestingly, right? The translation of his name can be tough as well. It's sort of this, uh, God says, well, I am who I say I am, right? I am, which is a verb. I am who I say I am. You could also translate it, I was who I said I was. Or you could translate it, I will be who I say I will be. Part of that verbal feature is it allows him to exist both in the past and the present and the future, which is unique. So of the three names, Yahweh is the only verbal one. The other ones are nouns. Right? This is the only verbal. Certainly a God of action. And let's just look briefly. Again, so God, El or Elohim, only used 2,500 times. Adonai only used 400 times. God's personal name used 6,500 times in the Old Testament. Yahweh exists a lot in the Old Testament. And there are some fun combos of names as well. Uh, Those of you who have done a bit more research perhaps in the names of God or listening to songs on the radio, say like by Elevation Worship on a song that they call Jehovah, Uh, They're going to talk about several names of God, names that we might be familiar with, names like El Shaddai. So this is a combination of words, right? El, meaning God, and Shaddai, meaning what? Does anybody know? El Shaddai? Almighty. That's right, God Almighty. Right? So sometimes in the Old Testament, you get these kind of fun togethers, or you get something like the story of Hagar, El Roy, which means the God who sees Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you'll get those kinds of combos. Uh, you also get, interestingly, uh, in probably more modern language, you get the word Jehovah. Now this is on the page. This is on the second page. I want to talk about Jehovah briefly, and here's why: the word Jehovah. The word Jehovah is not a name in the Bible. We hear God referred to as Jehovah quite a bit, but that is not a name in the Bible. Some of you are like, oh, I was listening to a song the other day, and they said Jehovah Jireh, right? Uh, which, yes, Jehovah Jireh. Uh, the Hebrew text is Yahweh Jireh. Interestingly, not Jehovah. Some of you might say, well, I heard a song too. It said uh, Jehovah Nisi, which is the Lord is my banner, right? Jehovah Nisi. Also Yahweh Nisi. Jehovah is an interesting word uh, since it doesn't exist in the Bible. And how did we get to it? Well, and this comes back a little bit to the, to the conversation around God's name. I said Yahweh exists in the Old Testament about 6,500 times. 
And in the Old Testament, particularly after the giving of the law, God's people wanted to be very careful about not using God's name in vain. That led them to a place in time uh, and tradition where they wouldn't say Yahweh because they didn't want to, by chance, say Yahweh wrong. And so what they would do is every time they saw the word Yahweh in the text, they would simply say Adonai instead. So the tradition became, every time I'm reading the Old Testament text and I see the word Yahweh, I don't want to say it wrong because I might take it in vain. So instead of saying Yahweh, I'll say Adonai in its place. And you're thinking like, okay, how do we get to Jehovah? Well, again, over time and tradition, what happens is if I take if I take the vowels out of the word Adonai and I apply those vowels to the consonants of Yahweh, let me say it again, if I take the vowels out of the word Adonai and I apply them to the consonants of the word Yahweh, what do you think we get? Jehovah. That's how we arrived at Jehovah. It's tradition of saying Adonai in the place of Yahweh. And if I take those vowels and apply them to the consonants, I get a brand new word called Jehovah. So when I hear, when I hear in a song, Jehovah Nisi, right? The Lord is my banner. It really is Yahweh Nisi. But tradition has carried that word Jehovah forward into the future. It's not a bad word. It's just, it's not a biblical one. <laughs> it's just a combination of some things. So is it wrong to refer to him as Jehovah? I don't think so. It's not the proper way, probably, to, to actually address God. But nevertheless, it's been passed down through millennia, actually. All this stuff about God's name, right, and having a care for God's name, really revolves around uh, God's command that if we're going to love him well, that we should have some care for his name. So let's think about this. The first commandment was what? What's the first commandment? Shall have no other gods before us, right? Before you. The second commandment is what? You shall not take the Lord's name in vain, or you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, depending on your translation. So remember, those first three commandments are about how we love God well. The first one is we're not going to have any other gods. Right? The attention and the affection of our heart is given solely to God. And then secondly, we're going to have a care for the use of God's name. Right? So what does it mean that we should not misuse God's name? It means this, we should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie, or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. In other words, when we trust God with all of our hearts, that's commandment number one, we use our lips to call upon him as creator and redeemer.
So there, there are prohibitions here about how we should use God's name. And there are ways that we should be using God's name. Right? They're both prohibitions and these encouragements of the ways that we should use it. So as a table, two questions to start thinking about as we think about God's name. How is God's name used today? If you just think about the culture around us, if you think about your experiences and the places where you live, work, and play, how is God's name used today? And secondly, how does this reflect or affect the way people think about God? Right? How is God's name used, and then how does this reflect or affect the way people think about God? All right, as a table, a couple minutes, and we'll come back to it. Go. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk as a big room here briefly. How is God's name used today? How do we, not well. In vain. Well done. As, a, as an explicative, yeah, as a swear word. That's right. Not a name, but what you yell at the TV if your team doesn't do the right thing, right? Yeah. How else is it used? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, is that still God's name? Yeah. And we'll get to that here in page three. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what does that reflect, right? Or how does that affect our understanding of who God is as we think about just how do we experience God's name today? What's that? It's a lack of your vocabulary. It's a lack of your vocabulary. Okay. Minimizes his name. Good. Sure, it's a lack of respect. I think also that if people who aren't sure who God is or Jesus is, yeah. and all they hear is uh, his name used in a negative context, mm-hmm. that they'll only think of it, his name, in a negative context. Yeah. And could be damaging. Yeah, it's good. So uh, part of what Frank is saying, and just in terms of, like, if, if I experience God's name in a negative context all the time, and I'm a person who's not sure about God, right, then my, my assumption becomes, uh, really, it, it becomes this place where, like, God is always in a negative context, right? I can't possibly think of God in a positive context. How else would this affect how we think about God? Tell me more what you mean, Sue. Well, it doesn't change my opinion of God, but it greatly changes my opinion of the person that said it. Yeah, so, so Sue's making this observation that if, if someone around her says or uses God's name carelessly, it doesn't necessarily change her opinion about God or affect her opinion about God, but it affects her opinion about the person using it. Yeah? 
Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the comment here is we uh, perhaps don't take into account uh, God's holiness. We minimize that holiness. So when we use it flippantly, we only sort of uh, exacerbate the reality that he's not totally holy, maybe. Interesting. Yeah, what else, Laura? Yeah. Like they'd say, like, you bring a cross necklace. I'm like, yep, because I'm a Christian. And, like, I can't even remember, like, three days later, I had some little boys come up to me, Mrs. Wolford, I'm wearing my cross today, too. So yeah. I just think sometimes they don't understand what that word means. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so in some ways, people could just be ignorant, right? Not, not, I don't mean that pejoratively. I just mean just ignorant of the name or what kind of power it carries or what it's reflecting. It's really good. Sure, it's just part of the vernacular, right? We just use it. Uh, like any other word. Larry? Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, so Larry's saying, you know, when, when we use God's name or when people use God's name carelessly or flippantly, we, we subtract love out of the equation. Right? Suddenly that's just sort of taken out. One of the things to hang on to, uh, church, that I think is important for us, and this is why Juliet mattered, it's also why God's name being a verb matters is that we, we cannot, nor should we, separate God's name from his character. We cannot and should not separate God's name from his character. They are intimately entwined. We cannot, nor should we, separate God's name from his character. And so when we, when we begin to use God's name without care, we are also speaking boldly to the world about his character or what we believe his character to be. I want us to think about for just a moment, you know, the people that we deeply care about. We, we care about people deeply, and those people that we deeply care about, we often guard their name and their character. Right? We guard their name and their character. So should something come up right, that hints at something that's outside of the character of your dear friend right, or a family member, we want to come to the rescue right, of that person both in name and character. Yeah. We do this, we, we have a care for the names of the people that we care about. And so I, I remember, remember that this is about how we love God. And it is 
in response to how God loved us, right? He rescues us from slavery, right? He takes us out of sin. He gives us new life in Christ. And so I care deeply about the person that is God. And part of my loving him well is helping to have care of his name, which is attached to his character. Because as I tell the world, as I share faith, right, I want them not only to know a name, but I want them to experience the character that comes with that name. So in this particular commandment, a way to boil this down is if we want to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we know that God's character and his name are intimately entwined, then we use God's name with purpose rather than carelessly or flippantly. We use it with purpose rather than carelessly or flippantly. So some of, some of this careless or flippancy uh, Luther is captured kind of in his explanation, right? We're not going to curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name. Those are all careless uses, flippant uses of God's name, in which we call into question God's character. Uh, how, how do those things sound today? Well, let's take swear, for example, right? Let's hypothetically say you're a fourth grade boy, and while you were at home, you took the cookies that you weren't supposed to take. And when your mom gets home, she looks at you and says, did you take the cookies? And you say, no, <laughs> no, I didn't. And then she looks at you and says, are you telling me the truth? And you reply to her, oh, I swear to God. I swear to God I'm telling the truth even as the cookie crumbles, right, are sitting on your chin. This, this calling on God's name, right, to swear, right, to make an oath, to kind of use his name for your own benefit, right, in the midst of a lie is a flippant use of God's name. Right. To curse... Uh, to curse somebody could be seen multiple ways, a couple of ways. One is to use God's name as an explicative, right? Uh, the other one is when people say, God damn something, right? God damn it, right? People don't actually think through what it is they're asking God to do, right? You, you are calling on God to act, and to act how? To damn something. Right? To take something into eternal judgment. God's character is one of salvation. Right? So, so when I say God damn something, I'm using his name. Right? I'm using his name in a careless and flippant way. A way that's actually not entwined with his character. Right? That in comparison to using his name in our praise. Right? 
That in comparison to using his name in our prayers. That in comparison to using his name when we find ourselves in trouble and are calling upon him. That in comparison to when we use his name to give thanks. Those are purposeful ways to use God's name and appropriate ways to use God's name. Here in the commandment, we want to love God well, it's to use God's name with care, right? On purpose. The things of our prayers and praise and in our thanksgiving. So any questions about that? Yeah, Karen. The whole truth and nothing but the truth, yeah? So help me God, yeah. It's a great question. This feels like eighth grade confirmation again. Can, let's, let's get all the things in order so we know what things we can do and can't do, right? Uh, it, so, so in this case, um, using God's name and say, I'm gonna tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Uh, that, on one hand, I think is actually a prayer of like, dear Lord, I need your help. I'm gonna tell the truth here the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and I'm gonna need your help to do me, let me do that, right? Now, if I get up and tell the truth to the best of my ability, I've used God's name purposefully. If I get up on the stand and instead of telling God's truth, I tell a half-truth, or I tell not all of the truth, or I tell a lie, I've now used it flippantly. Make sense? Yeah. In the back. Yeah, yeah. Is it? This is like confirmation class. <laughs> so, when you get a text, hypothetically, you know, from your kids, your kids' friends that have OMG, uh, what, what, <laughs> what are the words behind that? Oh my goodness, that's right, Frank, you're so, your family's way holier than mine, that's my, um, yeah, or, or oh my gosh, yeah, that's another one. That's what you call it. That's, that's right. Uh, so in this case, I, again, I, I think how, am I using it on purpose or am I using it carelessly? I mean, it doesn't matter that it's, it's just the beginning uh, letters of the words, uh, because we, we know what the words are question is, how are we using them? So, so what you begin to hear, again, what you begin to hear is a heart posture. Do, do you hear it? Like how we use God's name is based on the posture of our hearts. It's not just a rule that like Jews in the days before wouldn't say God's name out loud for fear of using it in vain. I'm happy to say Yahweh's name, but it's that the posture of my heart is in one that understands who God is and who I am in relationship to him. And when I understand what God has done for me, I want to have a care for the people that I love and care for, that I'm going to have a care for his name because it's t- entwined with his character. Right? That's coming out of the heart. It's a heart posture. We don't have time today, uh, so we'll dig into this in the week to come, but we'll flip a little bit from God's name kind of really in the Old Testament to how we think about the name of Jesus. Uh, He is the name that is above every other name. He is the name to which every knee shall bow. His own name has meaning. So we'll look at Jesus next week 
and we'll continue this conversation about how we use God's name well, uh, specifically as we use it with Jesus, all right? All right, let me pray for us and get us on our way. Lord Jesus, you are so good, and we are so grateful for your many mercies. <laughs> oh, we're so grateful for the love and the care and the kindness and the compassion you have for your kids. And Lord, we, we want to live in response to that goodness and that grace and that love for us. We want to do so as we use our words carefully, specifically as we use your name carefully. And so, Lord, help to posture our own hearts and to turn our own hearts and shape our own hearts so that we use your name in the ways that bring you delight. When we call upon you in need, when we give you thanks, when we pray. Lord, we, we pray that your name would never, never be far from our lips and from our hearts and from our minds. And so to that end, to that end, good Father, we pray that we would be a people we would be a people in which your name lives, in which your name is spoken, in which your name is called upon, in which your name is our banner. So, Father, as we go either to home or worship, we pray now that you would bring the blessing of your presence to know that you go with us, before us, after us, on both sides of us, that you hem us in, so that always and in every place we can trust that you are there. So, Father, we go with that blessing and with that knowledge in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen.